Welcome to the Shadron Berean Church Podcast, where you'll find some of the latest teachings from Shadron Berean Church in Shadron, Nebraska. We are a loving community of believers growing in God's grace in Christ together. The heartbeat of our church is to have deep roots in the Word of God and to bear fruit by passionately applying it to our lives by His power for His glory. And we thank you for joining us. of years, we've been operating under this perennial vision, you know, it's not just an annual vision, it's perennial, of uh, a tree that has deep roots and bears fruit. A tree that has deep roots and bears fruit is a healthy, balanced tree. If a tree's not healthy, it's not getting the nutrients it needs, it's not going to bear fruit, right? So it's a healthy and it's a balanced tree. We've talked about how we want to be a balanced church. We want to have uh, deep roots in the Word of God, okay? Be rooted in the Word of God, but we also want to bear fruit. We want, we want the Word of God to produce uh, God's fruit in our lives. We don't just want to study the Bible just to know truth. We don't just want to know and we'll have more knowledge in our heads. That's not why we study the Bible, although that's important, right? We want it to... Um, to produce something in us. We want to see the fruit of the Bible and, and God and its truth in our lives, right? We want it to produce something in us, in our lives, enjoyable fruits for God to enjoy and for those around us to enjoy. Quite often, I think churches are improperly balanced. Either, you know, we all, they, they come together and, and they study the truth and at the end of the service they say amen and that's it. You know, and they don't really apply it to their lives. And, they, and uh, then you got the other churches who, uh, they're all about application and practical serving and all this stuff. But, you know, they, they're not really grounded in the Word of God. And you get a glimpse of this in uh, Revelation uh, chapter 2 and 3. There, Jesus has to reprove churches that are out of balance. One's really, you know... Really great with their knowledge and doctrine, but eh, you're not doing the deeds you were doing at first. And he has to reprove a church for being imbalanced there. And then there's a church who's like, wow, man, they're, they're serving like crazy. They're loving their neighbors, but eh, you're, you're kind of sliding on your doctrine here. You, you, gotta, you got some false teachers you need to deal with. And so it's kind of, Jesus reproved both of those churches. And so we want to be balanced, knowledge and application, right? We've looked at that before. Uh, but a healthy tree is also a tree that brings life and enjoyment, right? There's just something about a healthy, productive tree that takes my mind uh, back to the Garden of Eden, to the way things should be. Uh, a healthy, balanced fruit tree is something that is a picture of peace and prosperity and abundance and life and enjoyment and satisfaction, there's something about it that's just, it's satisfying, right? I mean, imagine being out in the wilderness, and you're out in a desert wilderness, and I mean, it's like a 100 degree, 100 degree plus day, it's just beating on you, even the wind, you know, you got a slight breeze, and it just feels like a hair dryer, you know, it's just miserable hot, your back's drenched, and you're looking for shade, and 
And, and kind of like a mirage, you come across a healthy fruit tree out in the middle of the Sahara Desert, let's call it. And, you know, it's got these awesome fruits on it, right? And so you, you pick a fruit, and you start to open it, and you enjoy it, right? Nice, juicy, fresh. You sit under the shade of that tree. You catch a break from the sun. The, the trunk is now your, your backrest to take a break. That's kind of the image that the prophet Jeremiah is going to paint for us today. Sometimes life is like that. You're out in the middle of a desert, and there's nothing around. It's just dried up. Everything's dried up. It's miserable, right? But then, you know, we can also be like a, a healthy fruit tree, even in the desert, even in the desert, if, if we're trusting in the Lord. Where we place our trust, right here and right now, in a desert wilderness experience, determines whether or not we end up more like a, a dried up bush, you know, that's <laughs> just uh, dead, you know, and, and dried up, or we end up more like a flourishing fruit tree. And I don't know about you, but this world kind of feels like a wilderness at times, doesn't it? Kind of feels like a drought. We sang about that this morning. Uh, how pleasant is a tree like like that picture up there in a in a hot and barren wasteland? So again, Jeremiah is going to show us trusting the Lord is critical to flourish in a time like we're living in, in a time like he lived in. Um, it feels like we're in a drought spiritually, doesn't it? Uh, spiritually, the conditions in this world, it just kind of feels like it. Everything that's been going on the past couple of years, uh, man, it just, it's even, it's just even, it's hard to even turn the news on anymore. <laughs> Someone was telling me this week, I, as soon as that information starts coming my way, I just want to turn my head, you know, I just can't even take it in anymore. I don't even want to listen to it or, you know, it's almost like it's, the devil's lies are just everywhere. And it just, you can only take so much of it, right? Um, it's hard. It is hard. And, uh, you know, I don't want to burst any bubbles, but uh, and maybe, maybe there, because maybe there's a lot of optimism out there going into the new year, and, you know, I think rightly so. We should be optimistic about it, but, uh, you know, the, the drought doesn't exactly recognize when the calendar changes over, right? Uh, and every year has its hard times, so there's no promise that 2022 is going to be any better than 2021. I mean, I don't, I don't want to, you know, be the Debbie Downer here, but there's no promises here. And so, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we trusting in as we come to 2022? I saw a joke this week, a couple days ago. Someone posted this, and I hope this isn't what 22 is like, but they said, going from 2021, a fire, a burning building on fire is like jumping out of that building, hitting a trampoline, the firefighter trampoline, and just going right back into another burning building. <laughs> um, man, I hope that's not what it's like, but, you know, that's, that's real. There's going to be hard times this year where we're going to have to trust the Lord. Don't trust the new year. Trust the Lord. And uh, let's learn from Jeremiah how by trusting God we can flourish even in a drought. Jeremiah 
and some of the prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel, these guys uh, were a big fan of object lessons. You know what object lessons are? Right? It's kind of like the orange I've got in my hand, right? Uh, just they would demonstrate through some sort of real example, uh, some sort of illustration, like uh, spiritual truth. You guys have heard of Ezekiel bread, right? You guys have ate Ezekiel bread. Yeah, so Ezekiel was teaching through that. Um, he laid on his side for a certain number of days to, to, to demonstrate how long Jerusalem was going to be under captivity or you know under siege, basically. Uh, Jeremiah actually didn't have any children. He didn't marry or have any children because his life was to be a demonstration that, look, it's going to be really hard for people who have children. Like uh, It's not the time for that because Jerusalem was going to come under siege. It was going to get really hard. And to be honest, the Babylonians who invaded, they weren't going to consider the youth. You know, they weren't going to consider anybody. They're going to take everybody out. So anyway, um, he, he even the prophets themselves would be object lessons. And so I thought, hey, I'm going to I'm going to buy some oranges for everybody. So if you didn't get an orange, get one, take it home. There's plenty of them. Um, enjoy them. Everybody needs a little more vitamin C right now, don't they? Vitamin C is like God's medicine, and we need more of that. But uh, let me ask the question before we get into our text. Where or in whom is your trust today? Where's your trust today? Where have you placed your trust? Who are you going to trust in in 2022? Because that, where you put your trust is a game changer. Uh, let's read Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. Uh, Thus says the Lord... Oh, I forgot I've got it up here on the screen too. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. But blessed is the man. You could even say, Happy is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes. You catch that? He will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green, evergreen. It won't be anxious the NIV says it has no worries in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. So that, that right there is uh, our key text for what I think is an appropriate annual vision for 2022. If we're, it's, this is an annual vision that kind of goes with our perennial vision. If we're going to have deep roots and bear fruit, we want to emulate that sort of tree, a healthy fruit tree. We've got to be sure that we're putting our trust in the right place. We've got to trust the Lord more and fear less. Trust more and fear less if we want to have deep roots and we want to bear fruit. And we're going to remind ourselves throughout this year, at least quarterly, to, to trust God and the importance of trusting God. And can we trust God? Is He trustworthy? This is what we're going to look at throughout the year now and then. Um, but look at this contrast. I mean, isn't that quite the contrast? Where you put your trust determines whether or not you're like 
a dried up bush in the wilderness or a healthy fruit tree that's planted by the streams of water. That's a big deal, isn't it? Where we place our trust has an incredibly practical effect on us. The fruit or the result of trusting in yourself, and fruit could be considered the produce or, or results or maybe even the consequences of our actions and decisions. Uh, it's basically what our lives are characterized by is the, 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 the fruit. It's, it's the result of something that's going on inside of us, where we've placed our trust. Okay, and the fruit of trusting in ourself or trusting in man is fear and anxiety and worry. Fear, anxiety, and worry. But the fruit of trusting in the Lord is stability, right? You're planted. You're planted by the water. You extend your roots out by the stream, and so you find life and blessing and productivity and prosperity. So, like, fear is going to paralyze you. You won't be very productive. It's going to make you shrivel up, basically, and dry up. But if you trust the Lord, you're going to continue to go on, and you're going to continue to bear fruit, even in a drought, even in a year of drought. And uh, we're going to study this this idea in its context, because that's what's really going to help this sink in. The title of this book uh, comes from the title Jeremiah. How many of you have heard a sermon in Jeremiah or haven't heard a sermon in Jeremiah? Right? It doesn't come up very often, does it? Uh, it's a great book. I love these Old Testament prophets. Um, the title of the book, Jeremiah, comes from its main prophet and author, Jeremiah, and we know that because, well, it says so. Uh, this book is highly biographical and autobiographical. All of the contents in it are pretty much written by Jeremiah or they're about Jeremiah. It's, uh, it tells us more about its own author than any other book in the Bible. It's very revealing about who Jeremiah was, what he was like. It records several of his personal confessions or laments. He's lamenting the things that are going on in his in his in his city, in his country, in his time. Uh, he's lamenting, and so we get a glimpse of his heart. We get a glimpse of his personality. It's not just a, a chronological book, but more like a collection of Jeremiah's words and works. It's more like a, a collection that's been put together, and it, it records everything from his calling to his predictions to his predictions actually being fulfilled. And it's, so it's got poetry, it's got narrative, it's got sermons, addresses, parables, object lessons, and uh, it's, a, it's just a fantastic book. An interesting uh, side note is that it's the longest book in the Bible in terms of words and verses. It's the longest book in the Bible in terms of words and verses, which made it really difficult when you just want to preach on a few verses out of it. <laughs> right? So looking at one of the longest books in the Bible just to preach in a, a few verses. But anyway, it was compiled or at least written by an amanuensis. How many of you know what an amanuensis is? It's kind of like a, a secretary or a, a scribe who would actually write for Jeremiah. Jeremiah's prophesying and they're writing down what he says to write. And his name is actually Baruch, which is mentioned 21 times throughout the book. Um, his ministry, as far as his ministry is concerned, he ministered to the general population of Jerusalem and Judah. And Judah's, or Jerusalem's the city inside of the territory of Judah. 
Um, in Jeremiah's day, uh, Israel, the land of Israel was divided into two. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the, the, the southern kingdom, Judah, was made up of the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. And the northern kingdom was made up of uh, the other ten tribes, or was twelve tribes. The other ten made up the, the northern portion that we call Israel. And uh, at this point, when Jeremiah is writing, Israel has already been taken into captivity, like way up here into Assyria, right? They've already they've 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 sinned and uh, they've been idolat- in idolatry, and so the Lord has chastised them by taking them out of the land to Assyria. And uh, Jeremiah is sometimes called the eleventh hour prophet to Judah to the southern kingdom, because during this time, and it's about 600 B.C., they're facing impending judgment for their unbelief now. So the northern kingdom has gone, and he's saying, look, same thing's going to happen to you, Judah, only by the Babylonians to the east, if you don't return to the Lord. So he's, you know, if, if judgment strikes at midnight for Judah, it's the 11th hour. It's the last hour. And that's how the Bible talks about the day we're living in too, doesn't it? My children, John says, it is the last hour. Basically, judgment could strike any time, right? Jesus could come and take us home to be with the Father, to the Father's house. Judgment falls on the world. Uh, birth pangs, right? Come upon the world suddenly, just like that. So it's, it's the last hour when Jeremiah is preaching, and he's preaching a hard message of repentance to Judah. Because Judah is guilty of worshiping false gods. They're guilty of ignoring God's law. They were not trusting in the Lord. They were trusting in their false gods, their idols. They were trusting in foreign alliances with other nations, pagan nations. They were trusting more in their gods and foreign nations than they were in the Lord to keep them in the land and to bless them. And so that's, that's kind of the context. Jeremiah was called by God to be a prophet in the 13th year of King Josiah, and King Josiah was a good king. Uh, respectively, uh, he was one who reformed Israel. Uh, there was a point in time where Israel had become so lost spiritually that they actually lost the book of the law. They didn't know what the law was anymore. Like the law of Moses, Right? Uh, they didn't even know what it was anymore. And there was a priest named Hilkiah who actually came and he found it when they're like, you know, they're, they're refurbishing the temple and fixing it up according to Josiah's command. And this priest comes in and he says, look, I found this book, you know, and he shows it to King Josiah. And King Josiah's like, oh boy, we're in trouble. We've screwed up because there's cursings and blessings, right? Because they had a covenant with God. And if they obeyed, they'd be blessed. If they didn't obey God, they didn't trust God, all this stuff, they worshipped other gods, they were going to be cursed, basically, as uh, they would be taken captive, right? And they're like, oh, that's what just happened to Israel, and that's going to happen to us. Well, anyway, um, Hilkiah might have been Jeremiah's father, um, because Jeremiah's father's name was Hilkiah. But uh, anyway, this is a kind of amazing, isn't it? Like, they're... They're Israel. Like God's law was given to them. They've, they've lost his law. They don't even know what it is at this point. That's the spiritual condition they were in. And uh, that'd be like going into a church today, wouldn't it? 
and and you walk in and nobody nobody has Bibles. They don't they don't know what the Bible is. And there's some churches like that today, right? <laughs> uh, don't know how to interpret it. There, there's nothing there. And uh, anyway, Josiah he he reads the law and he's like, man, we're in trouble. He tears his robes and he cleanses the land of idols and child sacrifice, and he reinstitutes some of the feasts like the Passover, like they were commanded to keep and. Anyway, he brings about a great reformation in Israel, at least superficially. And I say superficially because it's apparent that the people, they started keeping some of the the ritual ceremonies, right? They're going through the motions of offering sacrifices and doing things like that again, but their hearts are still hard. I mean, all you got to do is read uh, verse 9 after our, you know, in our chapter 17 to see uh, their hard hearts there. And, uh, so they're they're actually at this point they're they're keeping the ritual but they don't have a real relationship with God they're not walking with God and that's it's kind of like today we run into that all the time if you ask someone if they're going to heaven or not and they say something like well you know I was raised in such and such a church ding 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 right translation I believe in ritual I believe in baptism I believe in my you know whatever I was confirmed I give money I was baptized Right, what you want to hear is, you know, I, I've trusted in Christ alone for my salvation. Is what you want to hear. I'm not trusting my baptism. I'm not trusting my catechizing, my catechizing, or uh, any of that stuff. I'm trusting in Christ alone. But that, well, I was born and raised in such and such a church reveals. Well, you're trusting more not in the Lord, but in their religious upbringing or their works. And so, uh, spiritual leaders in Jeremiah's day were no different. They were preaching peace, peace. Peace, peace. That was the message. Peace and safety. Uh, and uh, Jeremiah is actually told to say this. There is no peace. There is no peace. You have a false peace. Jeremiah 6.14 says, They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. And that was God talking here. They dress the wound of my people as though it weren't serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. And so God at this point had removed his protection and peace from them, but they're still preaching, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. We're good to go. We've got the temple in in Judah. He won't do to us what he did to Israel because the temple of the Lord, that was their phrase, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He'll never destroy the temple. We're good. We're fine. And, and what Jeremiah is actually called to preach is there is no peace and judgment's coming. God is not afraid to destroy His temple and take you guys into captivity, and He will. Okay, And, and like one man said, these, these uh, false spiritual leaders were just putting band-aids on an arterial bleed. You like that image? It was a serious wound. They're getting ready to be taken into judgment and, and, and here they are slapping band-aids on saying everything's going to be fine. Man, there is no peace, Jeremiah says. Judgment's coming for your spiritual black backsliding because they hadn't kept the covenant with God. Uh, backsliding is a word that, ref- that is used 16 times in this book. Backsliding, right? They're not walking with the Lord and they need to return to the Lord. Return is another word that just 
dozens of times, I think it's more than a couple dozen times, the word return is used. And God is saying, if you don't change your minds and return to me, I'll allow the temple to be destroyed. You will be uprooted and taken to the land of Babylon. Okay? And uh, that was something he warned them about time and time again. And this, this message of judgment and repentance was a really hard message for Jeremiah to preach because from the very first chapter, you start to gather that Jeremiah was actually a pretty sensitive young man. Uh, he was somewhat hesitant, tender-hearted. The Lord called him into ministry in, at 627, uh, in 627 B.C. at the age of 20 years old. And uh, God had to reassure this young man over and over that he was with him. He was going to put his words in Jeremiah's mouth and use him. He said, don't be afraid, don't fear the people, don't fear man, but just be faithful and preach what I tell you to preach. I'll put my words in your heart, right? And, and uh, even if people don't respond to it, you just keep, keep preaching my message. You keep sharing my message with the people. It's actually been called the book of warnings and mornings. Because Jeremiah is warning the people and he's just, he's mourning the entire time. The book of Lamentations, we get the book of Lamentations from Jeremiah's right? Uh, heart being revealed there, his mournings. He's preaching for 40 years to the people, and they don't repent. They don't return to the Lord. So he just weeps over their coming judgment, and he weeps over their hard hearts. And that's a good thing. If you're called to preach judgments coming, right, you should you should be, you should be one who also weeps over it. Someone who doesn't who just only preaches judgment like fire and brimstone, they don't weep over it. Uh, isn't really qualified to preach it. You know, I, there's a lot of guys out there that are preaching fire and brimstone and judgment's coming, but they're not weeping over it. And so they just become a noisy clanging gong. You know, they Paul mentions in First Corinthians, but uh, they don't have that heart, that heart that loves the people. Anyway. Jeremiah, this guy, was a, a weeping prophet to a wayward people. He never found what we would call his sweet spot in ministry. He never found that spot where he's really effective and, you know, the congregation's growing and it's doing great. No, you know, he was just, he it was actually just got, it actually just got worse for him. He, it just got worse. With King Josiah, he went to battle Pharaoh Necho of Egypt because Egypt and Assyria were going to unify uh, to go against Babylon. Anyway, um, King Josiah thinks he's going to step in and, and stop it uh, because they're right in the middle. <laughs> and Anyway, Josiah dies in battle. Um, I think it's up at Megiddo. But um, he dies, and he's the good king, right? And he's supportive of Jeremiah and stuff. But then after that, he, Jeremiah is just hated. He actually experiences more persecution and hardship uh, they think, than any other prophet. Uh, his life was literally the pits. He was thrown in the pit kind of life. And uh, part of that opposition was just his message to repent, but also to unconditionally, once, once it was clear they were not going to repent, he said, you guys need to unconditionally, he says, Babylon's coming and you need to unconditionally surrender to Babylon just for the sake of sparing as much life as possible. Don't fight back, just surrender so that way. You're going to go to Babylon. You can live in Babylon, live for the Lord there, and then your children can return when God says it's time, right? And they hated even even more for that to to surrender to Babylon. And uh, 
That wasn't it, though. He didn't just talk about um, judgment. He also had a touch of hope in every single one of his messages. Hope of what? Future restoration. They were going to be restored to the land. And this is uh, kind of a... There's some key prophecies in Jeremiah about future Israel. Not even like the Israel back then, but Israel today being restored to the land in the millennial kingdom. Being restored to their place. So a lot of the prophecies uh, about that you find in, in Jeremiah. One of the common phrases in, of God in Jeremiah is yet... I will not make a complete end of Israel. You know, there's always a remnant. God is going to judge his people, yet I won't make a complete end of them. I will restore a remnant. That's always the case with Israel, isn't it? Because he has a covenant with them, an unconditional covenant that he has to keep. Uh, Even today, there's a hope laid out for the future restoration of Israel in the millennial kingdom. And uh, their regathering in unbelief in Israel today is it like a super sign of the end times. They had to be gathered in unbelief so that during the tribulation period, they will return and accept Christ as their Savior, right? So, anyway. Uh, I think we need to take a point home from this, that we need more guys like Jeremiah today. We need more guys like Jeremiah, men of conviction like him, who are truth-tellers, and yet at the same time they have a tender heart. Truth in love, right? That's who Jeremiah was. He spoke the truth, but he did it in love. He was a weeping prophet to a wayward people, and so we can learn from Jeremiah to minister to our own culture. We live in a culture that's often a professing culture. They have a false peace. They don't understand the gospel. They're religious at times, but they don't actually have God. They don't know God because they don't know the gospel. They don't believe the gospel. Uh, We also uh, live in a godless society, just like Judah was in. It was was professing and godless at the same time. And uh, Jeremiah delivered the whole message of God to that culture, that God had given him to proclaim, and he did it, but he didn't do it arrogantly. He didn't do it arrogantly, and he didn't give up when ministry got hard for him, extremely difficult. It was not successful for him. Things were very difficult. And he said at one point in Jeremiah chapter 20, he said, even if I, if I try to shut my mouth, <laughs> his word comes like a fire in my bones and I can't hold it in anymore. I've got I've to tell people about the truth. I've got to tell people the truth. Maybe we should be like that, huh? I've got to tell people about Jesus. They need Jesus. Because the result, because the because the the truth is, judgment's coming if they don't have Jesus, right? So we can learn a lot from him, and it, it's in this historical context that Jeremiah applies the this striking, contrasting imagery of the scorched shrub versus the flourishing tree. This is the context of it all. Figuratively speaking, he's saying he's living in a drought. A dry period, both spiritually and circumstantially. And uh, the reason for it is that they weren't trusting in the Lord. They were trusting in their foreign gods. They're trusting in foreign alliances with other nations. Guys, little tiny Judah was at this, you know, they were like sandwiched between three superpowers of their day. Egypt and Babylon and Assyria. And they're all, right, uh, looking to dominate the world and warring against each other. And little Judah is caught right there in the middle of this international crisis. 
uh, three-cornered international crisis. And so they're, they're kind of like the putty in between these superpowers. <laughs> uh, not much different today, is it? And if you know prophecy, it's going to be the same in the end times, right? Uh, even today, there's, there's nations talking about pushing Israel, right, uh, just west into the ocean. Let's just wipe Israel off the map. Right? There's a lot of anti-Semitism today. And uh, things seem like they're building for that, that battle that comes when uh, the nations gather against Israel. But anyway, rather than leaning on God, rather than keeping His law, they had like pro-Egyptian parties in their nation and pro-Assyrian parties, and they're all kind of vying for allegiance. When Assyria was strong, they would cuddle up to Assyria. And when Egypt was strong, when they were, kind of became more dominant, they'd cuddle up next to Egypt. And then uh, Babylon comes along, and, and Babylon dominates the world, and, and now Israel's just in this vassal state underneath the Babylonian Empire, and we've got vassal kings. And uh, as soon as um, it seemed like, whenever it seemed like power was going to shift back to Egypt, right, uh, Israel would rebel against Babylon, which was a bad decision because they'd just get crushed. And... Uh, Anyway, if they had just trusted in the Lord rather than trying to play these games with the nations around them, they would have been what the book of Deuteronomy says, they would have been the head of the nations and not the tail. Right? The nations, they became the tail because they, they weren't trusting in God. They weren't, they weren't living by the law. And so they became the tail of the nations. The nations wagged them around. If they just would have trusted in the Lord, He would have made them the head and made them stronger, and they would have been untouchable. Okay, But because they didn't trust the Lord, they experience an uninhabited wasteland rather than living in a land of milk and honey. It becomes a wasteland. Warren Wearsby said this. I think he said it best. Unbelief turns life into a parched wasteland, but faith makes it a fruitful orchard. And can any of you guys relate to that? Unbelief turns life into a parched wasteland. Right? I, man, I'll raise my hand to that. I can testify to that. That is true. You, you go about doing your own thing long enough, your own way, and try to live life for you, and you, know, you just disregard God's Word and what it has to say, you'll be hurting soon enough. Soon enough right? I kind of think of the Psalm 119, the psalmist. Uh, before I was afflicted, for doing things my way, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You go your way long enough, you'll find affliction, and then you'll, you'll come back to God and his word and realize, wow, he knows what he's talking about, and he really does know what's best for me. But unbelief turns life into a wasteland. Faith makes it a fruitful orchard. And uh, this is what the, the, the contrast is teaching here, just trying to summarize it a little bit for us. To flourish in a drought one has to properly place their trust in God. They have to trust in the Lord to flourish in a dry period. Even though this psalm to Jeremiah, it's, you know, it's written, this little psalm of Jeremiah is written to Judah. It's also written to be universal in its scope. It's a lot like Psalm 1. Did any of you guys think of Psalm 1 when we read it? It's ex almost exactly like Psalm 1, only opposite. Instead of talking about the happy person first, it talks about the cursed person first. First. Uh, Psalm 1 talks about the wicked person who doesn't believe. He's driven away by the chaff. He's driven away like chaff in the wind. Well, this compares that chaff person to 
uh, an uninhabited wasteland, someone who's dried up, basically. But uh, when we place our, where we place our trust is critical because it's going to greatly affect our experience of life. I mean, if we're going to continue to emulate this healthy, balanced, fruit-bearing tree that we have for a vision, it's going to require trusting God in difficult times, in times of drought. And I think we're in a time of drought. I've mentioned this at the beginning. I mean, just like Judah, our land is filled with immorality, isn't it? It's filled with immorality, and it's increasingly hostile against the truth because of it. Uh, We don't want any standards. We don't want any objective truth. Just let me live my life my way. And I don't know how many of you feel kind of like Lot, and Lot's a questionable character, but 2 Peter 2.7 says, Lot was sick of living in a shamelessly immoral society. You guys ever feel that way? His, his soul, it says, was oppressed by all of the godlessness going on, the immoral ways. And evil is called good, and good is evil now. It's hard living in a culture like this. Um, 2020, the summer of 2020 was probably the hardest, you know, in my own recollection, recollection when, you, when, I, when we watched that cultural Marxism try to take over some more ground, right? And they were, they were burning and they were looting and calling, on, calling, calling out for social justice. And the whole time sitting here thinking their idea of justice is perverted. They don't have biblical justice. Okay? It's, it was sickening, heart-wrenching to watch all of that going on with their perverted views of justice. Like Judah, we too live in a land of idol worship. We live in a land of idol worship. Don't you like that picture of someone kissing Benjamin? Um, Our money, what does our money say? In God we trust. I think we trust more in our money than we trust in God. In fact, who was that character that last year said, you know, God basically has no room in this place, in our government? can't remember his name. I don't need to mention it anyway. But we worship self-promoting gods. We, we worship money. We worship possessions, fame, success. These are our idols today. The money, possessions, fame, power, pleasure. I think the past couple of years we've learned that safety can even be an idol. We'll put safety before the commands of the Lord because we're not trusting the Lord. Anything we love or we trust or put before God, by definition, is an idol. It's a false God in our life, and we've got to put it back where it belongs. If something's getting in between us and God and the things of God, and this happens to us occasionally, it even happens to me, and I've got to remember, no, this belongs here. It's a good thing, but it's not going to be my God. And it got, it's got to get, get put right back in its place. From time to time, we've got to do that. On top of that, COVID has just added to the whole desert experience, hasn't it? It's bad enough that it's a real thing, okay? But they've exaggerated it and they've used it to, for their agenda, to lord people, basically. They shut the whole world down over it. Okay, it's, it's been a frustrating 
head spinning couple of years. Again, you watch the news, your head starts to spin. It's hard to live in the days we're living in. I feel like we're not in Kansas anymore. I had to throw that in there to lighten the mood a little bit. We're not in Kansas anymore. And it's easy for our lives to be characterized by anxiety and fear and worry when we look around and when we watch the news and all these different things. And if that's what characterizes our lives, fear and anxiety, according to Jeremiah, it's telling of where our trust is. We know where our trust is if our lives are actually habitually characterized by fear and anxiety. The fruit of trusting God is the opposite of that, right? Opposite of fear and anxiety. It's steadiness, blessing, life, productivity. You go on like a flourishing tree in the wilderness. See, the fruit, our lives, what we see in our lives, I guess what our lives are habitually characterized by, whether fear and anxiety or or uh, steadiness and productivity. like it's, a, it's telling of where our trust is. And Galatians, guys, it talks a lot about this. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, these are the result of what? Trusting in Christ. Faith resting in Christ and what Christ has done. The fruit is the result of trusting Christ for salvation and trusting Christ uh, as we walk the Christian life too. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Trusting in Christ. Faith resting in Christ. But we also walk by grace through faith in Christ. So you're not just saved by trusting in Christ. You actually walk by trusting Christ. When you, when you go to serve the Lord, how do you do it? Oh, Lord, I'm just going to give it my all this morning. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. and Oh, you, Lord, you add your blessing to it. Or I'm going to serve you and chalk this up in heaven, right? You know, for my righteousness or my good. No, you don't do that. We're not saved by works. We don't live by works. We were saved by grace through faith in Christ. We walk by grace through faith in Christ. Okay, when, when you get up, when you go to serve the Lord, you're, you're dependent on Him, right? The whole time. You're, you're dependent on Him. You're trusting Him to work in you and through you to do His thing. Um, when you don't trust in Christ for your salvation or for sanctification or for service, it puts a lot of pressure on you, doesn't it? Uh, we went through Galatians, and we should do that again sometime. <laughs> it's an awesome book. But uh, the problem in Galatia was they were living by works. They'd forgotten the gospel. They'd forgotten to trust Christ for salvation and for serving Christ. And so they had all this legalism and religious works that were producing the exact opposite effect of the fruit of the Spirit, right? It was the opposite of trust. And, and so they're, they're feeding their flesh. And, and what, what's actually happening in the congregation is that they're having dissensions and anger and jealousy and factions. And if, and if you're, not, you're not trusting Christ, you're also going to be living in anxiety and fear. Those are going to become your main motivators because how do you know when you can ever measure up if you're living by works? When do I measure up? I just got to keep working, you know, and trying to be good enough. 
You know, I hope I die in the faith sort of thing. We're saved by trusting in Christ. And we walk by trusting in Christ. Let's get that down, okay? Nothing pleases God more than trust. He made it the condition for salvation. He made it the condition for sanctification. The Christian life is a life of trusting. It's a trusting life. And that's why I want to emphasize trust this year. Deep roots and bearing fruit requires trusting more, fearing less. We've got to place our trust in the proper place so that we don't fear when the heat comes and we don't worry in a year of drought. And we don't know what this year is going to be like, but it's going to have its heat and it's going to have its drought. Every year does. Every year does. So that's our vision. Trust more, fear less. Do you want to make this world a better place? Trust more and fear less. You know, fear wasn't in the Garden of Eden before the fall, was it? They didn't fear. In the world to come, when Christ returns, new heaven, the new earth, there's no fear there. No fear. No anxiety. Wouldn't that be great? If you want to give a pe- people a glimpse of what it, this world's supposed to be like, either you know before the fall or after Christ restores things, trust more and fear less. Where's your trust today? Who is your trust in? It's a dry and unproductive and lonely existence for the person who trusts in himself or trusts in man. And that's the temptation today. Good old J. Vernon McGee, he didn't have a lot to say on Jeremiah 17, but he said this, Sometimes we think we can depend on certain men or on certain political parties to work out the problems of the world. you think that's ever going to happen? You and I are a cursed people if we put our trust in men and what men can do. Today, he says, is the day to trust God. Today's the day to trust God. Someone who trusts in the Lord is going to flourish in the desert. They're going to have greater stability, greater confidence. They're going to have a lot more freedom from fear and anxiety. And that's, that's the personal experience of Jeremiah. It's his testimony. He was living, this psalm, when you, see, when you read this psalm, read Jeremiah's experience into it. He's the one in the drought. He's the one in the wilderness in Judah. Okay, but his testimony, his affirmation is that God can make you like a tree rooted by streams of water that bear fruit in their season. He had it hard, y'all. I want to say y'all. He had it hard. And his testimony, maybe worse than any other prophet, right? He had it harder than any other prophet. And his testimony is God can make you flourish in a drought. So, there's this tree on my way home, and I don't have a picture of it, because I can't take a picture of it while I'm driving down the highway, right, to be safe. It's actually in a really awkward spot. It wouldn't, t- it wouldn't be a good picture. But there's a tree on my drive home that I think illustrates this well. This tree, it's a pine tree, it's, it is not planted in the, a desirable place, okay? It's actually planted on the side of a cliff, And uh, this tree comes out of the cliff, and it grows straight up. And it's just, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous tree. It's just well-balanced, you know, uniform, tall, healthy. And it looks like the way it's planted on the the east side of this cliff, that if a wind just come over that cliff, you know, a stiff wind, it would just blow it right over, right? 
It's not in the best place to, for western Nebraska. But that thing is healthier than a lot of the trees around it. And even on a dry year like this year has been, literally, it's been a dry year. I don't know where it's getting moisture from. <laughs> but uh, it's a lot healthier than a lot of the trees around because it's properly rooted. And that has been a good illustration for me. So maybe that'll speak to you. And uh, I'll ask finish with this question. Are your roots in the Lord? Are you ready to, are you guys ready to trust more and fear less? You guys ready for that? If you are, say amen. Amen.